Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Jacob Halbrum, one of our regular guests on this podcast, but I'm actually in his office in Washington, D.C., where he sits as editor of the National Interest. Uh, and you have a very grand evening tonight, don't you? You've got a big, uh, your big event of the year. What's we going do indeed. on? We do indeed, Freddie. A dinner celebrating Secretary of Defense James Mattis, who is one of the leading members of Donald Trump's cabinet. Mad Dog Mattis, as Mad Trump dog likes Mattis, to call him. But he's Mad Dog, but some people think he's the only hope for sanity in American foreign policy. Well, Trump apparently thinks that he's not barking enough. He called him Moderate Mattis the other day. <laughs> and inquired of European leaders whether what they thought of Mattis, and apparently some of them thought that it was a trick question, and that if they extolled him too much, that Trump would turn on Mattis. Right. So that people have to be rude about him so that Trump likes him. Exactly. Right. So he's just got to keep them mad in his name, even if it's totally untrue. Right. But it's interesting about Trump's foreign policy, because we had this uh, tweet about Iran that got a lot of attention a couple of days ago, and the sort of knee-jerk speculation was that it was a distraction from everything that's going wrong elsewhere, it's a distraction from Helsinki, and that he's suddenly ramping up uh, the rhetoric against Iran, and Rouhani specifically. Other people said that it was a fire and fury part two, and he's trying to do a sort of war on Twitter to make diplomacy later on. What do you think is going through his head if one can ever decipher what's going through his head? I think all of those are true, and I also wonder at times if Trump, who is ensconced in the White House with a very difficult relationship with Melania, <laughs> is experiencing sexual frustration. <laughs> and you think he will vent that on Twitter? I think that some of his behavior could possibly be as ascribed to, to this development. I mean, if you look at Trump's life before he came, became president, and this applies to many presidents, not, not just in the, in the sexual sense, but Trump clearly did have, as we see today from the, the Michael Cohen tapes that were mm. just released, he had an extremely healthy libido, as he would put it, frequent appearances also on the Howard Stern show, where he would brag about his, his sexual prowess. Yes. So, I always thought that was funny with the Howard Stern tapes, that everybody was very upset about the grab them by the pussy tape, but if you listen to the Howard Stern tapes, what he says is far worse. Well, in the, in the American context, I don't know if we were more prudish than the Brits, but it was, it was a, a prolonged exercise in political incorrectness. Yes. As he, he speculated about his wife, about Ivanka, and, and so forth. And, and Trump, of course, was always bragging about yeah. his, his manhood. And that is a constituent element of his personality. Now he's ensconced in the White House, and you really are under a microscope. You have very little freedom. Mm. Today he announced, the White House announced, that they will no longer provide any readouts of his calls with foreign leaders. So Trump is trying to, in a sense, escape the presidency. Originally, when he was elected president, I thought that he might just stay in Trump Tower and never move into the White House mm. so that he could say that he was not a member of the Washington Swamp because he always wants to be an outsider. Mm. Anyway, there are all kinds of theories about what appears to be 
Trump's erratic behavior. Mm. And yes, I do think it's also possible that he was simply irked by the by Rouhani's challenge. Again, a challenge to Trump's manhood. Mm. This is a president who wants to restore the patriarchy, the good old days in the United States of the 1950s and early 1960s when he was a young man and growing up. Mm. So I, I hope that... Uh, I realize that even by airing this, this might be somewhat daring for the spectator, but by the standards of the Howard Stern show, what I just said would be considered tame fare indeed. No, no, we could, the spectator could go along with sexual frustration. I think that's no problem at all. Uh, but I mean, I just think in terms of who is whispering in his ear, because I don't imagine that was actually on any of the cable news. Who, who would have whispered in his ear about Rouhani saying... Uh, what did Rani say? The war of uh, war to end all wars, or, or, or some quote like that. Who would have said to him? Would There's that an obvious candidate, John Bolton. John Bolton. Yeah, John Bolton has had it in for Iran for a long time, and he's even more aggressive than Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Now, don't underestimate Mattis either. He wants some degree of revenge upon Iran for the mischief that it engaged in after the Iraq War. Yes. when it supported the insurgents who were uh, attacking American troops and caused quite a few casualties. So you have a, a, a confluence then of the American foreign policy establishment who resent Iran for the post-Iraq mischief, and you have these figures like Pompeo and then John Bolton and is it Fred Flights and... Fred Flights, who is an assistant on the National Security Council and wanted... And these guys are in, inveterate Iraq hawks. I mean, you could Iran get, hawks. Iran yes. hawks, sorry. sorry yeah. With someone like Flights, he has it in for Islam, period. Yeah. I think he wanted to strip Americans who profess Sharia of citizenship. Yes. I think that's one of the initiatives that, that he backed. And this is because they come from this think tank, the Center, or they're backed by the Center for Policy Studies. Center for Security Security Policy, Policy, which was founded by Frank Gaffney, who was a former Reagan administration Defense Department official who resigned in protest over the uh, INF Treaty that removed intermediate-range nuclear missiles from Europe. He saw this as a sellout to, to the Soviet Union. Right. So he's, he's the hardest of the hardliners. These are people who have replaced the red threat with Islam and have gone, well, a lot of people say have gone a bit mad about it. Right. Yeah. Interesting that they don't, they're not interested in the, in the existing red threat. Yes. You know, Ferdinand Mount, the distinguished writer, who I asked him to contribute to a forum of ours where, where I asked about, uh, you know, the, what, what policies we should pursue after the Cold War had ended, and he, he sent in a, uh, a, a terse verdict saying that he disputed the very premise of the question. And it, to him, it wasn't clear at all that the Cold War had ever ended. Yeah. And well, that's where we find ourselves now. It was quite prescient on his part, I thought. Well, it doesn't, and in a way, perhaps the obsession over Islam has been a terrible distraction. And it actually, maybe it's been attenuated somewhat by the by the furor over Trump's ties to Russia, his his appearance in Helsinki, and obviously, as you said earlier, the the Iran is a gambit. This is someone who's throwing nuts at the various media squirrels to get mm. them chasing in different directions. And Trump really is amazingly effective. 
uh, at, at steering the debate. Well, this is something I find every time I, I come here, I'm struck by the way that the news channels have now reconstructed all their shows to react to, the, to Trump's Twitter feed. Well, the reason they do that, obviously, is that the media was in terrible shape before Trump became president, and he mm. has been a bonanza for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other media outlets. They have all profited from his presidency, which irks him to no end, because he doesn't derive any share of the benefits. But there is a problem for Trump and for the media and for perhaps world peace as well, that a year, a year ago, a year and a half ago, when Trump would tweet about Kim Jong-un and say something tremendously aggressive... Uh, everybody would lose their minds and think this was terribly dramatic. The Trump tweet, most people probably shrugged it off. If he's trying to do a mad theory of diplomacy, a madman theory of diplomacy, he's, it's becoming slightly predictable, perhaps. Even. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to someone at CNN today who's fairly high up in the hierarchy, and she said that they can now see that Trump fatigue is actually setting in. Mm that stories about and related to Trump are not doing as well as they did previously. So they're trying to provide more of a mix of stories. But every American president becomes overexposed. I suppose the, the danger for Trump is that he's, he's just pushed it be beyond the limit of people's endurance. Yes. And that raises the question, the $64,000 question, or $100,000, I don't suppose you say $100,000 pound question, but... <laughs> Uh, what's going to happen this November in the midterm elections? Is it, in fact, going to be a wipeout of the Republicans? Well, because the Republican Party have been very keen to make it a referendum on Trump because they think they can win that. Trump was. I'm not sure about the Republican Party itself. Right. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very revealing midterm election. And what I think it will expose is... The, the 2016 election was sort of a black swan event where it came, no one, or apart from a few people, thought Trump was going to win. He did. He discombobulated the entire media establishment, the entire political establishment. The question that hovers over this election is, was it a one-off or was there profound reshaping of American political alignments? And the data generated by this November election, I think, will go a long way to answering that question. Yes. If Trump is decisively repudiated, both in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, that which suggests that he's, his hold on the political scene is much more tenuous than it might appear at this moment. And therefore, now, a key thing would be the fact that Trump fatigue means that now that the great driver of his popularity, which was the hatred and abhorrence he induced in his enemies, has softened, and therefore that stops people loving him because he's not so hated. He doesn't have a single target like Hillary Clinton, who is a very convenient foil for him. Right. What he has now are black football players in, in the National Football League. He can go after the media, after CNN. But the targets are more diffuse than they were before. But this again suggests that in foreign policy things would change because there might be an element of Trump fatigue settling in among foreign leaders now. I mean... There doesn't seem to be the willingness that Trump had believed would manifest itself to kowtow to him. Mm. He believed 
that by imposing these trade tariffs, he would be able to cause Britain, the EU, China to capitulate. Instead, and Canada, instead the resolve seems to have stiffened. But so far, there's been little evidence that the tariffs, I mean, people talk a lot about, there's been, there's been little evidence that the tariffs are hurting the economy. No, even the threat I, I think if you look at the twelve billion that he's now tapping into, mm. he's he's becoming a New Deal president. This is a New Deal era farm support program from that was devised in nineteen thirty three by Franklin Roosevelt. Yes, and Trump is essentially wants to give welfare to farmers, as, as Senator Rand Paul pointed out, Bob Corker, other Republican senators. Ron Johnson said this is Soviet style economics, yeah. golden crutches. There is, on the issue of tariffs, a serious rift between Trump and the bulk of the Republican Party. Now, the farmers are complaining. Have they turned on Trump? No. But what he did promise was rapid gains. He said that, that a little sacrifice would bring about rapid gains. If that doesn't occur and they, they start losing, then if already the polling data in some of these states is suggesting that races are moving more towards the Democratic column. But to go back to the farming subsidy and Republicans attacking Trump and saying Soviet style, I mean, there's a slight hypocrisy there, isn't it? Because it, the American agriculture has never been a free market by any means. It's always been hugely protected and and supported by the state. You look at sugar tariffs and things like that. It's, it, America is not a an agriculture free market, isn't no, it? No, that's true. Yeah. But Trump is taking it to to another level, and you have. China and Canada specifically targeting his supporters to inflict the pain on them. And it, it, we're in the very early phases of this. Yes. Now, a lot of the economy also rests on psychological confidence. In 2008, we saw things tip, you know, within a couple of days. I mean, I'm not saying that, that this is going to happen in the next month, but you are seeing erosion in Trump's support on this issue. And do you think the likelihood of him lashing out, not just on Twitter, but into a actual intervention is quite high? An intervention in Iran, say, or something like that? Because that would make, if his presidency starts falling down in other areas, if it becomes clear that he can't hold together on some sort of coalition on the right, then the obvious thing to do would be a, a unifying war. Well, some people are talking about an October surprise. Yeah. Whether a war would unify the country is an, o is an open question. I highly doubt that Trump would be able to, to get away with this. Partly because a significant chunk of his base is very anti-intervention. Right, and he would have to persuade the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Mattis that this was the appropriate thing to do. Finally, I would hope that Trump is self-aware enough to realize that he is not capable of presiding over a war. He simply would not be able to conduct one. That sounds like a vain hope. Could be, to be. <laughs> but it, why, why not have the triumph of hope over reality once in a while? <laughs> Jacob, I think we'll stop it there, but thank you very much, and uh, good luck with Mad Dog Matters tonight. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer. <laughs>